This morning we continue in our consideration of the prophet Hosea, that 8th century B.C. prophet who was used by God to do a dramatic thing. He was used by God to live a life that would model and emulate for the people of God to see what their broken relationship with God looked like. And the way that 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 was imaged was through Hosea being called to marry a promiscuous woman. One the scriptures call a prostitute or a woman of uncleanness who was guilty of committing the vile act of adultery. And the Lord says He has Hosea do this because the people are guilty of the vilest idolatry in looking to other gods. Instead of looking to the one true God, Yahweh, they were looking to Baal and to the religion of the Canaanites. They were looking to Egypt. They were looking anywhere and everywhere except to the Lord of the covenant. We've seen in recent weeks that God's people had had a memory problem, a loss of memory. They had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten the promises of God and the demands of God. They had become hard of hearing spiritually. They didn't want to hear from the prophet. They wanted him to stop. They called him a fool. We'll see later in the book of Hosea. And their hearts had become hard. And all of this, if you remember, as we began this study, if, if you were here, Hosea really serves as a, as a type of mirror for these people to see in themselves who they really are spiritually. Now that message is going to be the theme this morning as we look to Hosea chapter 7 in a message that I've titled, Cut Down by the Prophet. Hearing the truth can hurt. And so at this point, before we read the passage, you need to know, you need to be reminded that Israel is a ruined mess. Israel, the covenant people of God, the church of God, they are a ruined mess. Though they had been chosen by God, He had set them apart. He had called them His treasured possession. He had made covenant with them. He had made a wife of them. But they continued flirting with the gods of other nations. And this has wounded God. This has hurt the affections of God for His people to embrace another God. And so give your attention to Hosea chapter 7, verse 1 through 16. Whenever I would heal Israel, the sins of Ephraim, or Israel, are exposed, and the crimes of Samaria revealed. They practice deceit. Thieves break into houses. Bandits rob in the streets. But they do not realize that I remember all their evil deeds. Their sins engulf them. They are always before me. They delight the king with their wickedness. The princes with their lies. They are all adulterers burning like an oven whose fire the baker need not stir from the kneading of the dough till it rises. 
On the day of the festival of our king, the princes become inflamed with wine, and he joins hands with the mockers. Their hearts are like an oven. They approach him with intrigue. Their passion smolders all night. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings fall, and none of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes with the nations. Ephraim is a flat loaf not turned over. Foreigners sap his strength, but he doesn't realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. Israel's arrogance testifies against him. But despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless. Now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. When they go, I will throw my net over them. I will pull them down like the birds in the sky. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. Woe to them, because they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, because they have rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. I trained them and strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. They do not turn to the Most High. They are like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their insolent words. For this, they will be ridiculed in the land of Egypt. Let's pray that God would help us understand and apply these words written long ago, but that are true for every one of us. Lord, we ask this morning that you would be our teacher. Lord, we ask this morning that you would use this word in the same way that you intended through Hosea to those people long ago. That we may hear bad news that cuts us, but Lord, may it be the good news that heals us. We ask this and pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if in your mind, um, if, if you're older, um, if you would go back with me in time to the playground, maybe the middle school playground. For those of you who are children, maybe, maybe this, this is where you are, perhaps. Go back to the middle school playground, which can be one of the meanest places in the world, Right? And I want you to, to remember in your mind uh, what we would call playground cutdowns, where one child would say something to another child to, to cut them down, right? So I tried to think of some that I could share publicly, and, and that's harder to do um, than one would think. Uh, but 
one child trying to wound another child might say something like, hey, look at four eyes. Or look at that goofball. Look at that nerd. Look at Shorty McShortshort over there trying to reach the monkey bars, right? Playground cut downs, zingers on a middle school level. Well, on the, on the middle school playground or, or whatever age, now it's true, I still say some of these things to some of you. These are, these are zingers, right? These, these are one person trying to zing somebody else. And it can be done usually on the middle school playground hurtfully and intentionally to try to wound someone. Well, this morning, as we jump into Hosea chapter 7, the way I want to approach this that I think is, I think is helpful is to see these, these statements that Hosea makes to the people of God as 8th century B.C. zingers. And they're odd to us. They're, they're obscure-seeming. But there's a difference between the playground cut down and the way the prophet is cutting the people with his words. On the playground, it's intended for your harm and to try to wound someone, to knock them down so that you can build yourself up. That's not the way or the nature of what the prophet is doing. The prophet and his cut downs, his zingers that we're going to consider this morning, they are intended to tell the truth about how these people are in the eyes of God. And he's doing it for the purpose of humbling them, not cutting them down, not embarrassing them, not humiliating them, but he wants to build them up. Remember last week in Hosea 6, his appeal is to return to the Lord. Before it's too late, return to the Lord. So as we get into these prophetical cutdowns, I want you to remember that is his theme. That is his intention. These metaphors, these similes, these illustrations that he used, they're serving as a mirror to those people to show them who they really are. And this morning, it serves as a mirror for us to consider ourselves as well. Because everything he says of them is ultimately true of us as well. So listen to Hosea, the 8th century prophet, as he reveals to Israel yet again their spiritual condition as God's covenant people who have wandered from them. So two points this morning. First, the truth. Second, the truth hurts. So here's the truth. The Lord says in verses 2 and 3 that He sees and remembers everything. The Lord sees and remembers everything. Now, you children who are working on the children's catechism, who are going to come to the pumpkin, pumpkin carving event on October 22 and share your catechism questions, right? Some of you are going to do that. Well, that statement that the Lord sees and knows and remembers everything, that might sound like some of your catechism questions, right? Listen to catechism question 10, 11, and 12. The question is, where is God? And the answer is God is everywhere. Very good. And then question 11. Can you see God? No, I cannot see God, but He always sees me. That's the point Hosea has just made. 
And then in verse 12, or question 12, does God know all things? Yes. Nothing can be hidden from God. Very good, Verity. Very good. Come on the 22nd and there's candy for you. <laughs> so as we teach our children this, and for good reason. God sees all things. God knows all things. But like a little child playing hide and seek, you remember how children will think if their eyes are closed that you can't see them, right? So you can't see me because my eyes... No. Israel had done this spiritually. They thought the Lord doesn't care what we're doing. or He doesn't see what we're doing. But the Lord, through Hosea, says, I see everything. I remember everything. Don't think otherwise. So the truth is, the Lord sees and remembers all things. And our call to confession this morning from Revelation chapter 3 said the exact same thing. The Lord said, I know your deeds. And then in verse 17, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And that message from Revelation 3 is, is the same as Hosea's. You think that you're prosperous. Prosperity has hardened your heart. You don't see that you are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You need to look in the mirror. You need to take a long, hard look in the mirror and see how the Lord sees you. That's the truth. That's the truth of the prophet. And he wants them to know the Lord sees everything. The Lord remembers everything. Now, here comes the boom. Here comes the humbling point of Hosea. These are the cutdowns, the prophetical 8th century cutdowns that Hosea the prophet will use. These are not intended to humiliate. These are intended to be true points of humbling a prideful people. And the first thing that he says is in verses 4 through 7, where he calls them a hot oven. Doesn't sound like much of a cut down until you start to understand what he's saying. He says, condensed into summary form, your hearts are like a hot oven. Now, the oven of this day, the closest thing for us would be a big green egg or a pizza oven, a stone pizza oven. Those are the closest things that, that we would be familiar with. And those ovens, they would have coals that were always smoldering. But when it was time to cook early in the morning, they would build those up into a roaring hot fire. And Hosea likens their sin and their hearts to a hot oven. It burns hot for sin. And the point would be, they're cold towards Yahweh. They're cold towards the, uh, towards the Lord, but they're hot towards their sin. They are kindled in their rebellion against God. James chapter 3, verse 6, similar sounding language. It says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. And so you see fire being used, Old Testament, New Testament, to indicate a passion for sin, corruption and destruction that comes from the heart and in James's sense, through the tongue. 
So the application for us to make, because remember, all of these points that he makes, in some way, we need to ask ourselves the same question of ourselves. So how is sin always smoldering and sometimes a roaring hot fire in your own life? Can you see your heart and admit, you know, sin is always there. It is smoldering. It is ready to be whipped up into a frenzy. That's the nature of the fallen human heart. And we're to be humbled by that. Our heart will burn, hard, will burn hot in sin, but cold towards the Lord. And that was Israel's problem, Ephraim's problem. And the same thing can be true for us. Now the second zinger, the second cut from the prophet. In verse 8, there we're told... Ephraim mixes with the nations. Ephraim is a flat loaf not turned over. Or a flat cake not turned over, depending on the version that you hear. You hear that, and you're like, ooh, wow, ooh, flat cake not turned over. Ooh, what a zinger, right? Well, what does that mean? What is a flat cake not turned over? Well, some of you are bakers, and you'll get this more than the rest of us. But the imagery here, probably something like a, what we would know as a pita loaf, a flat loaf. And you would slide that into that hot stone oven and you were to cook it. The baker had to pay attention, couldn't be distracted. And at a certain point, that cake, that loaf was to be flipped over. And in this point, his point is, you got, a, you got an incompetent baker and now you have a loaf a loaf that is worthless. It wasn't flipped over. So you have it burned on one side and uncooked on the other. And such a loaf is to be what? Thrown out. It's tossed. Now you can fill that in with your own experience with burning cookies or, or burning toast or whatever, but the imagery here is Israel has become a worthless loaf. That is a zinger, isn't it? And you remember the language of Revelation 3, which we heard earlier, that because you're not hot or cold, because you're lukewarm, the Lord says to those people, you will be spewed out of my mouth, thrown away, just like a worthless loaf is thrown away in Hosea's language. So it is strong language. And so you and I, in the way of application, are to consider our own lives that we're living, the people that we are, what we're doing. How are we a flat cake not turned over? How have we managed life and faith? Are, are our lives worthless loaves in the way that we're living in the world? Israel had become a flat cake not turned over, and, and we can be worthless loaves as well. So we're called to return to the Lord. Thirdly, his third cut down comes in verse 9 where he says, Foreigners sap Israel's strength, but he doesn't realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. Huh, what does that mean? Quite simply, it means this. Some of you men who are getting older, middle-aged men... Know what it is to think you can go out and, and play basketball or pickleball like you used to. And our doctors will tell you that there are more injuries 
per capita in pickleball than most any other sport because people are middle-aged, they're getting a little bit of gray, and they think they can do what they could do in their 20s, and they tear their Achilles or they tear their shoulders. And the imagery here is that Israel has gotten old, Israel has gotten weak, but they don't realize it. They don't know it. It's just like the previous sermon about Israel has lost its memory. Israel has gotten hard of hearing. Israel has gotten hard-hearted, but, but they don't realize it. They think they're doing okay. And the imagery here is someone who never looks in the mirror. They never do self-evaluation. They never do self-examination. They're getting old. They're showing signs of weakness and decay, but they're oblivious to it. They think, I'm okay. I'm okay, you're okay. And they justify their behavior. That's a zinger. He's saying they need to examine themselves. They need to take that long, hard look in the mirror. Like James chapter 1, verses 22 to 24 tell us. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says... It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And so it was for, for Ephraim, for Israel. They did not have an honest evaluation of who they were and how they are doing. Age and weakness had crept up on them and they thought they were young, strong, and healthy. Now the fourth cut down, the fourth zinger from Hosea, the 8th century prophet. It's in verses 11 to 12, where quite simply, he calls Israel a dumb bird. Listen to how he puts it. It's a little bit more eloquent than how I put it, but it's the same point. He says, Ephraim is like a dove. Now, we tend to think of a dove, elsewhere it's pictured as a, as a bird of innocence and purity and beauty. That's not the sense here, okay? Listen to what he says. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless. Now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. And when they, will go, when they go, I will throw my net over them. I will pull them down like the birds in the sky. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. Woe to them because they have strayed from me. It's an image of shame. It's the image of a bird that is not smart. Um, now, if you want a, a perfect image of this, I, I posted it on social media last night for those of you on social media. But there's a little video clip of a funeral where a family has chosen to release some doves at the burial of a loved one. And I've seen this done before, and it didn't go well in person either. But on this video, this family tries to release a dove to fly off and to beautifully symbolize whatever. And the bird flies out of the basket straight into a semi-truck that's driving by on the interstate. And you're like, what a dumb bird. And that's Hosea's point. Doves were senseless. They would fly this direction, fly that direction. Uh, some translations call it a silly bird. Here it's a senseless bird. Let's call it what it is this morning, 
The prophet is calling them dumb birds who have no sense of direction. They're going this way to Assyria, to Assyria's gods. They're going this way to Egypt, to Egypt's God. And their lives are falling apart because of it. They are dumb birds. The obvious question to ask as we want to apply the text to ourselves is how are we like dumb birds? How have we been easily deceived? Now, if the, if the bird illustration doesn't work for you, most of you have had a tennis ball in your hand and you've seen a golden retriever or a black lab who you can easily deceive and you can pretend to throw the ball and hide it behind your back and the dog just can't figure out where the ball has gone. It's the same point. Senseless, easily deceived. And our lives with sin can be the same way. How many times have you sworn, I am changing my ways, never again? And then you are easily deceived, led back into the same sin pattern or sin routine. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 11 speaks to this. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And the imagery there is graphic, I know it. But it's a dog will throw something up and then go eat it again. And the writer of the proverb is saying, that's how you and I are with sin and its foolishness. It wounds us. It hurts us. It, it, it undoes us. And then, and then we'll do it again because we're senseless. We're dumb birds. God's word calls Israel, it calls us to return to him, to repent of our folly. And then fifthly, the, the last zinger is in verse 16. It's a short one. And it simply says, They do not turn to the Most High. They are like a faulty bow. And depending on your translation, some will say a treacherous bow. I think for us, the most helpful visual of that is a, a slack bow. It's a bow that, again, like the loaf, is worthless. What good is a bow that does not have tension to its string? And so Israel has become worthless as the people of God. They aren't imaging Him to the world. They're not showing His holiness, His goodness. They've corrupted His worship. They've corrupted His commands and His laws. And Hosea is saying five hard things that they need to hear. Because remember, he's not trying to humiliate them. He's trying to humble them. And he's seeking to humble them that they will return to the Lord. And remember the context, the great threat against these people is the promise of covenant curses that will come on them if they don't return to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm just going to read a few little select verses from those covenant curses. This is what Hosea is trying to prevent these people from experiencing. Verse 25 of Deuteronomy 28. If you're unfaithful, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Verse 37, you will become a thing of horror 
a byword and an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. Verse 45, all these curses will come on you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees that He gave you. And then verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. That is the threat of the covenant curse. That is what Hosea wants to spare these people in the northern kingdom from experiencing. But if you know your Bibles, you need to know that the northern kingdom of Israel would never repent. They would not respond. And about 10 to 20 years after his prophecy, do you know what happened? Exactly what was threatened in Deuteronomy 28. A foreign people would swoop in like an eagle and destroy them and take them away into captivity in the nation of Assyria. This is precisely what would happen. But Hosea is sent by God to stir their hearts, to be a mirror to them, to say, look at yourself, return to the Lord. But they would have nothing to do with it. They had reached that point of no return that they were warned of. And yet the Lord sends Hosea still. Things would prove different for the southern kingdom. 150 years of somewhat healthier, somewhat more faithful living. But this is Hosea's prophecy, and it's given to us to do self-examination. How have we been hot ovens towards sin? How have we been flat cakes not turned over? How have we had gray hair that has gone unnoticed? How have we been dumb birds and slack bows? You see, the message of Hosea is the same for us. Repent of our folly. Seek the wisdom of the Lord. Return to Him and find Him to be gracious, full of mercy, filled with the deep, deep covenant love that He has for His people, but that His people refuse to offer Him. Let's pray that the Lord would stir, even in us, a repentance, a willingness to return to Him, that the good news might be heard for what it is, able to undo the bad news. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord, we pray for the work of Your Spirit in us. Lord, for those of us who have lived or are living like dumb birds, senseless, going in multiple directions of disobedience, Lord, would You give us by Your Spirit the power to return to come to You, to truly confess our sins, to trust in You. And Lord, would You work in us that assurance and that confidence that is rooted not in our performance, but in Your grace, Your amazing grace that has power to save and power to renew. Lord, we thank You for the deep, deep love of Jesus, that, that Hesed covenant love. Lord, it's the love we've been dying for. And Lord, it's 
the love that we give you thanks for. So Lord, as we sing it, may you work that truth in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.